0: This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Speaking to you from the CKNW Bureau at the BC Legislature, it is a wild day here in the provincial capital as anti-pipeline protesters surround the legislature building, not letting people in or out of the building as they protest the coastal gasoline pipeline. The throne speech is scheduled to take place. this afternoon, so we're watching it all very closely for you. Let's check in with my colleague, Vaughn Palmer, the very fine columnist at the Vancouver Sun, who managed to get into the building this morning. Vaughn, thanks for coming in.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Mike, and, and a pleasure to see hear you on the air on CKNW. The listener needs to know that There was some real drama this morning at about quarter to 10. I'm inside the buildings. I'm looking out the big windows over the courtyard at the back, and the door is blocked, and I'm looking down at my friend, Mike Smith, who's standing there, and I look at my watch and I go, God, he's got to be on the air on NW in like 15 minutes, and he can't get in the building. And you know, you're normally a calm person, but you were standing there like throwing sweat off your forehead like a cartoon character. So congratulations on however you got into the building. I gather you managed to find an opening and get in. Uh,
0: but that was the first bit, of, one of the early bits of drama of the day that, uh, that I was able to witness. I was able to squeeze in. I walked around the building and I found one door where there was a few fewer protesters at this one particular door. They still tried to block me, but I was able to kind of squeeze through and a couple of the security guys uh, were able to get me through as well. So kudos to them. Uh, the, the security are doing their best there, but they seem to be out, outgunned here, man. They,
1: they were doing their best, Mike, and they, I think they got overwhelmed because what happened was initially they blocked all the entrance ways to the buildings, but that big courtyard entrance at the back that the school groups used to get in, and it's right by the MLA parking lot, so it's the way a lot of the politicians come in. Initially, the guards were coming out and they were escorting people through the line, yeah. but eventually the, the mass on the step got so big and the guards just didn't have the staff to be sure right. of people being safe. So they stopped escorting people through. As a result, a lot of people did get in to the building. They either came in early as I did or they found a way in the way you did. Uh, but I gather some members of both caucuses and some staff did not get into the building in time to start work this morning.
0: Okay, I know you spoke to a few people inside the building, Premier John Horgan, for example, you spoke to him, spoke right? Spoke
1: to the Premier, I asked him if he had trouble getting in, he said no, he came in early, he did not have any difficulty, and I asked the Premier if he's confident, uh, I mean, they've already postponed proceedings today to 1 o'clock, I asked him if he's confident that everything will go ahead at 1 o'clock, he said yes, he is confident that... It will happen. That means the lieutenant governor arriving here, Janet Austin, to prorogue last year's session, which means adjourn it, and then start the new session, reading the speech from the throne. All that is supposed to happen at 1 o'clock, and the Premier says he's confident that it will.
0: All right, I know you also spoke to NDP MLA Mike Farnworth, who's the government House leader. What was his take?
1: Well, we asked Farnworth a few things. We asked him, first of all, you know, for his reaction to what's going on out there. He really, really tried to keep the tone low. He said, we've had protests at the legislature before. They looked at the situation for the House starting at 10 o'clock this morning to adjourn the old session. They decided that after consulting Sergeant-at-Arms and Security staff, it wasn't a good idea, so they put it off to 1 o'clock. He said, we've had late starts in the past, so he said he doesn't think it's a big deal. He was asked if all of his members got here, and he said he didn't know if all of them were able to get in the building. He knew that they had more than 30 members at the caucus meeting today. The New Democrats had a The New Democrats had a full-blown caucus meeting this morning that ran an hour. While outside the windows of the caucus room, you could hear the demonstrators chanting and shouting. In fact, Justine Hunter and I had the windows open so we could get the sound as well. <laughs> Some staff came and closed them because they couldn't get any work done with this right. racket going on in the <laughs> background.
0: <laughs> okay. Um it got pretty tense out there. I mean, yes. there was a lot of jostling going on. I mean, there's a video yeah. on uh, on on Twitter of Richard Zussman, our colleague at Global yeah. News, trying to get through the crowd. He got he got bounced around. I know you spoke to a couple of other MLAs who sort of got a little bit jostled there. What about George Chow, the uh, Minister of State for Trade? I understand. he Did he get knocked down or something? Well,
1: yeah, we'd heard originally that George had actually been knocked down. So we yeah. talked to him. So he says what happened is that he was trying to get in. There was jostling going on. His way was blocked. Uh, but he said he tripped and fell down. He said okay. he wasn't pushed or anything, and he said he's fine. He's not injured. Um, we watched for some time while the oldest member of the legislature, Ralph Sultan, stood waiting to get in the building. He's, what, 86 years old? Um, he's not laid on his feet anymore, uh, and I wouldn't expect to be at that age. Uh, so he waited quite a while because I think he was worried about being jostled. Well, yeah. Uh, but a colleague showed up, and they did escort him through the line. Lines. A little while later, not long after that, Lana Popham, the agriculture minister, arrived uh, again the MLA parking lot. She parks, yeah. she walks down the walkway toward that entrance, and she didn't get in. She had people shouting at her. And by that point, the guards were saying, it's just not safe to bring people. These are cement steps. People are pushing. Uh, It's not safe to bring people in, so they stop bringing people in for a while.
0: What do you think about the government's hand, or or at least the legislature's handling uh, of this situation? I guess it the buck stops with the speaker, Daryl Plekis. Did you have a chance to talk to him today? He spoke briefly
1: to us. He said he believes that they will have the matter in hand. He said they're moving on it. Uh, Plekis was here on Sunday. So he's been engaged with the clerk of the legislature in what to do about this. Yeah. The jurisdiction over the legislature and its precincts, the grounds is the speakers ultimately. Right. And he's in charge of security as well. So he has to decide. Uh, Our understanding, Mike, is that what they're doing is they're assembling the material to apply for an injunction, and they may also be in contact with the Victoria Police for backup. The great risk, if you apply for an injunction in court, is you got to have the evidence that there's a problem, because if you don't, the judge might send you away, which would be a huge victory for the protesters. So they want to be sure they've got everything in order, they're taking pictures, they're files, they're presumably talking to people who've had trouble getting in the building. The public is blocked access to the legislature. Well, on Throne Speech Day, as you know, it's mostly invited guests anyway. Oh, I did run into a cabinet minister, Rob Fleming, the minister of education. He said he has texted his invited guests today saying, don't bother coming. It's just not worth it. And there is a security issue as well.
0: What do you think of this whole situation for Premier John Horgan and his government? I mean, this is a protest over the coastal gas link, natural gas pipeline that Horgan supports. Uh, going against, I guess, these protesters saying that he doesn't direct the cops and how to do their job, but if people are going to break the law, uh, there's, there's going to be an enforcement action for injunctions and that kind of thing. What do you think about the way he's handling it, and is there any sort of political risk to him on this situation here? Oh,
1: I think there's a big political risk. You know, in opposition, the position the New Democrats took on things like this was that hereditary chiefs uh, have custody of the traditional territory of First yeah. Nations, and yeah. they're the ones you should listen to. In fact, when they opposed the NDP, the Pacific Northwest uh, LNG pro- project, right. one of their allies in the First Nations community was Namox, the hereditary chief of the Wet'suwet'en, who was now leading the protest against the NDP's project. Right. So the NDP has been on both sides of this issue over the years, and I don't... Particularly agree with and don't agree at all with what they're trying to do here, the hereditary chiefs. But they do have a point when they say, you know, these are positions the New Democrats took in the past. Um, of course, the government is not happy that it's happening on throne speech debate day. They want us to be covering all the wonderful things in their legislative agenda and you know what we're going to be covering. So, um, they're not, they're bothered by that. Um, At the end of the day, though, I think if the premier stands up for the pipeline project and says it should go ahead and doesn't bend to these protests – I don't have much doubt where the public is on this. I don't think the public. I I saw you last night on social media tweeting about the blocking of the two bridges here in the capital. Right? You're not going to build public support doing that when they block the ferry terminal. Politically, that's stupid. No, I don't know you're, who do you think they're appealing to?
0: You're doing the opposite there of building support. I think you're squandering support with these yeah. type of tactics. Sometimes, if you talk to the protesters, you'll say, "Well, this is not about convincing the public. This is about putting pressure on the government to cancel this pipeline project." But I I think that. These these type of projects just make Horgan dig in even firmer in his support for it because I think he knows that the project is popular and supported by a big majority of British Columbians.
1: We're also, Mike, seeing something that I don't recall on one of these things before, which is you're seeing First Nations people. Yeah. And First Nations leaders coming out and saying, we want this project. Right. Good for us, for our people like, you don't normally First Nations community, they don't all agree and you don't expect them to. But you don't see what we're seeing now, which is First Nations leaders themselves, indigenous people themselves coming forward and saying, we want this project. We're going to share in the benefits. We're going to get the jobs. That, to me,
0: is a big political change in British Columbia. I agree with you. Jock in Parksville. Hi.
2: Uh, Hi, Mike. I'm sure glad it's you doing this today because I think you have common sense about you. And I was so glad to hear you interview one of the Wet'suwet'en because on the global news and CTV, nobody's talking to any of the Wet'suwet'en who all want this, as you know. They're just interviewing the protesters who say they're backing the Wet'suwet'en. So I really think it's ridiculous myself.
0: Okay, well, thanks for the call. Well, I did speak earlier on the show, Vaughn, to Candice George. Mm-hmm. She is a Wet'suwet'en member. Uh, she's an entrepreneur. She supports the pipeline. Yeah. And she's, like we were talking earlier, there's kind of this new wave of young, educated indigenous leaders who are beginning to w- and willing to step up and say, you know what, we're going to support these projects as long as they're on our terms yeah. and that we're at the table and we're part of it. Crystal Smith, we were just talking about her on the break, right? dynamic young indigenous chief uh, who supports uh, the, this big LNG project and it's kind of different from what we've seen in the past. I think as the way
1: forward if they're getting genuinely good deals and they deserve right. them Um, You know, the line I heard was that the old way of doing stuff, which to some degree the hereditary chiefs in this case stand for, the old way of doing stuff generated a hell of a lot of legal bills, but it didn't do much else. Uh, I think these – you look at some of these benefit agreements, they're they're in the hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And they're spread over the whole life of the project. So you're getting a piece of the action – People trained, people getting jobs. Um, I think it all adds up and it's very encouraging. Uh if we're going to ever in our society have a higher standard of living for First Nations people, it's going to be them being able to use their land right. uh to essentially create economic activity and jobs for their members. Sharon and Burnaby, hi.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm just saying I I phoned into the buzzline this morning. I totally disagree with all these protests. Um, I really feel that if you have the support of all the bands and they've all signed the contracts, that, you know, this whole project has been, um, they've talked to the Indigenous people along the route, they've got signatures, they've got the contracts going, they're going to get involved. And the same with the TMX pipeline. It's basically, you know, 120 out of 129 bands have all agreed to the whole thing. And it seems to me that this oil is going to get the market one way or the other. Talk to those poor people in Saskatchewan who've had two oil trains basically derail within the vicinity of their small town and they're up in flames. Is that how you really want to transport oil? These people seem to think that the oil pipeline or the oil is just going to shut off tomorrow. It's going to be years and years and years and years. And in the meantime, let's help support our Indigenous people who want to have the jobs and build up their communities, plus the Canadian public who are going to benefit from all all the stuff that's happening. We are a resource okay.
0: nation. Thank you,
1: Sharon. Vaughn, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, one of the encouraging developments this week as well is that the federal government is going to enter into formal consultations and negotiations with First Nations for them to own the expanded TMX pipeline. Uh, that yeah. as a as an economic benefit for First Nations would be a, again a huge step forward. Yeah. And the the money that came out of it would not be just jobs, but it might be able to deal with some of the other problems they, First Nations have, like drinking water and housing and other areas where they're lagging behind the rest of Canadian society.
0: Yeah, just basic poverty and some of these very remote reserves where there's been downturn in other industries. And for a lot of First Nations, they see this as kind of a lifeline. And like I said, as long as it's on their terms. I mean, if you read up on some of the projects that have been approved around the coastal gasoline p- pipeline, for example, there are some very remote uh, poor First Nations in British Columbia who have signed on to this pipeline and they've got contracts to build things like work camps. There's one in northern B.C. They're building a work camp to build the pipeline on the site of a former residential school. Yeah. And they're saying this is transformative for us. You know, this is kind of a, a new way to lift this up. Um, so I think there is growing support among First Nations for these type of projects, as long as it's on their own terms. Rick in Langley, hi. You got to go quick, though. Actually, you know what? We're out of we're out of time, Rick. So thanks thanks for trying. Um, what, what happens now you're going back upstairs to see what's going on yep. and do you anticipate that this uh, this throne speech is going to get read this afternoon
1: uh, they're, the government is very very confident that it's going to happen I don't think they'd be as confident as they are if there was much doubt but we'll see they have to get the lieutenant governor into the building uh, they want to round up their other members they're negotiating to find a door to bring everybody in yeah. I don't know if they've gotten that yet what about the tunnel isn't there a well, secret tunnel we're you not going to talk about that on the air because uh, <laughs> I think they blocked <laughs> for it security anyway. reasons they would sooner we didn't mention that there are other options this side of lowering them into the building with a helicopter, so we shall see.
0: It, there's no votes today, right? I mean, is there any danger no. of the government losing a vote or anything no. today? No, no. You don't vote on the throne speech here right. usually anyway, and you certainly don't vote on it on day one. Vaughn, thanks for coming in.
1: Bye-bye, Mike. Thank
0: you. as Vaughn Palmer, the uh, columnist at the Vancouver Sun.